I'm Danielle Houston. I'm a health and welfare advisor here at Lockton Companies. And today on my podcast, The Checkup, we are continuing the conversations that highlight the expertise and the specialties within our walls that deliver results for clients that are meaningful. Dr. Rebecca Litch is my guest today. She is our pharmacist and she spends her time working directly with clients and collaborating with others across Lockton as part of our pharmacy practice. And I want to start first with just laying out what does it mean to have a pharmacy practice? For Lockton, that meant looking at it a little bit differently. And looking at it differently, we'll talk about what some of that means. But we do know that pharmacists are trusted and a Gallup annual survey just continues to reinforce that people have a general sense of pharmacists, that they are trustworthy and honest, they rank really high in ethics, but they work in a field where there's a lot of distrust around the things like pharmacy pricing and how the benefits actually work. So Lockton decided to build a team of trusted pharmacists to represent our employers and the giant amount of pharmacy spend that's associated with that. And Dr. Rebecca Litch leads our series. And like I said before, she's not doing this alone. She's doing this in collaboration with a lot of others. But she joined Locked In some time ago. And I will let her share that part of the story. But important to know of her background, she has a doctorate in pharmacy. She has a master's degree. She practiced a residence pharmacy, pharmacy residence. Is that what we call it? pharmacy residency. residency. So she comes with all of the background and the smarts to deliver what matters for our clients in this space. And her path led here to Lockton. So Dr. Litch, I would love for you to tell us a little bit of your story and how your path came here. Thanks, Danielle. Um, So I am a pharmacist, as you mentioned, and I joined Lockton about four years ago. Before joining Lockton, I actually worked in the PBM space. Uh, I also had some time where I was working at a children's hospital and also retail pharmacy, um, but I was always drawn to the business aspects as well as clinical um, components of pharmacy. And so while working at one of the largest uh, PBMs, I loved being able to help populations of people. I love being able to help my clients, but here at Lawson, we truly get to provide that expertise and consultation in a independent and unbiased manner. So uh, those are some of the highlights for me and why I chose this uh, unconventional uh, pharmacy path. We know that most Americans receive their health care and prescriptions through their employee benefit plan. Uh, and so really, it's a privilege to be able to help uh, employers provide ultimately medication to so many Americans across the country. Your work here can definitely have incredible impact across the membership that Lockton serves. Can you give us just a little snapshot of what does that population look like at Lockton? Yeah, so uh, Lockton is actually the largest independently held brokerage firm in the, in the world. Um, we also uh, manage over 27 million lives uh, for pharmacy. Uh, so we're large enough to be able to negotiate well with our vendor partners across the country, 
but also maintain that independence and nimble nature so that we can tailor opportunities and really focus our analysis on what's important to each of our customers. And one of the things that you educated me about that I think would be a next great point for our listeners is this, I mean, maybe we call it a trend or maybe a standard practice of, you know, even our competitors developing coalitions. Can you explain what a coalition is in this pharmacy space and then tell us why Lockton didn't go that route? Yeah, absolutely. And um, there's another uh, point I want to share, just the level set. You know, we hear these things called coalitions, also collaboratives, uh, group purchasing arrangements. So they, they go by a lot of different names. But in essence, what we're talking about is uh, taking a pooled population of employers. Uh, so a good uh, group purchasing arrangement um, would be essentially taking a larger group of people in utilization, so pharmacy claims, and being able to use that to um, improve your pricing. The challenge is, you know, you've got a large population potentially of employers, and they're not all going to have the same goals, and they're not all going to have the same utilization, plan design, those types of things. And so um, within those group purchasing arrangements, you often have tiers, and a employer may be kind of carrying the weight for other employers, or they might just squeeze in. So there's, you know, really not um, a one-size-fits-all for employers. So we at Lockton, we do have access to group purchasing options in the marketplace, and those sometimes make sense for an employer. Um, but when we do our analysis, we will look at group purchasing arrangements, and we'll look at direct deals, and we'll truly make a recommendation for that employer based on what is best for them, um, their utilization, their goals, and the pricing in the market. And then the other thing I want to add is that through many of these group purchasing arrangements, our competitors actually get money from the, the v- vendors, the PBMs on the back end. Um, and so one way or another, they're sort of financially incentivized when employers choose those collective deals. Um, I know some of my uh, peers that do pharmacy consulting, they actually have sales targets, if you will, where they're intended to upsell uh, and try to get their employer clients into the coalitions that their employer operates and owns. And so Lockton has uh, decided to not own or operate a coalition. Which allows us to truly have an independent stance and to circle back to one of the earlier comments that you made to also provide really unbiased recommendations, a truly what is the best fit for the client based on what they need and based on costs. So I guess, you know, one of the other things we talked about too that help to differentiate our practice versus some others is that Often, you know, on top of some of these other costs and, you know, other incentives that are built into the pharmacy plan, there are also charges for billable hours associated with managing Mm -hmm. that pharmacy. So I don't want to get into a ton of specifics here because I know one of the things that we do so well is work with a client to meet them where they're at. When we look at how we are paid for the consulting work specifically that we do on pharmacy, then how do you see our strategy around that differing from what our competitors do? 
Yeah, good question. Um, so there really are a lot of options um, available to our customers. Probably the most common is to have a per script fee. So that's something that's very transparent. It's documented in a contract and um, that fee is administered by the PBM and billed to the employer. Uh, we also can be paid directly from the employer, leave the PBM out of it. Um, we don't even need to be broker on record to provide pharmacy consulting. Um, in fact, one of the large national customers uh, that we at Lawson have provided pharmacy consulting for, um, they actually uh, had one of uh, another firm as their broker on record and hired us uh, for their pharmacy RFP. Um, after uh, a year and a half of working with us, they actually decided to move their whole business to us at Lofton, but um, we can do pharmacy projects as well for employers. I thought that was incredibly powerful too. You know, I've only been at Lofton since September. So as I share these things with my listeners, I really feel like I'm sharing them too, as I have learned them or am learning them. And I thought, what a powerful way to demonstrate that our desire really is to help employers with whatever that need might be and to customize it based on the need. We don't sit back and just kind of lay out this path that says, well, if you want to work with us, if you really want to experience our smarts, then you have to do it this way. Uh, We really invite people to join us in whatever way they are comfortable. And I, I love that approach a lot. So let's get into some examples. You know, I, I always think it's great to talk about, you know, our reach and what kind of a population we work with here at Lockton. But I also know people love to hear some stories and hear some ways that we've made an impact that can help them translate that back to their own organization. One of the things that you talked about when we were learning and preparing for this is that the first thing any employer really needs is a best-in-class pharmacy agreement. And you have a really great case study with a client that helps lay out what that looks like. So tell us about this employer that you worked with and that transition into a service agreement that really demonstrates uh, the power and capabilities of locked-in. Sure. Um, so first I'll, uh, you know, pat ourselves on the back. You know, we routinely find 10 to 30% savings uh, for our employers. Huge. Um, now that's a, that's a huge, um, it is a wide, you know, 10 to 30%. That's, that's a big range as well. And so to get on that upper end Um, Those are where um, plan design changes um, would be required normally to get that high level of savings. Um, But the example I want to share with you today, again, looking at a a, a customer's um, PBM contract, uh, they were new to Lockton. And when we looked at the agreement with the incumbent and, and talked with that employer, we decided to do a full RFP or marketing. And so my team and I um, identified six PBMs, six bidders, uh, that we thought would be a good fit. Um, and we looked at um, the current formulary, the current pharmacy network, these types of things. And we wanted to try to minimize disruption. You know, there's always some disruption, uh, but we want to try to keep things as, as close as we can and then quantify the disruption that would exist. And so ultimately, through this RFP, for the employer, we actually uh, saved them 24% 
um, off of their pharmacy costs. Um, that was uh, looking at the market and, and identifying a best-in-class contract. So as you mentioned, best-in-class, you know, what does that mean? Um, it's not just the numbers on a contract for pharmacy. It's the provisions and how drugs are defined. So if we don't hold them to the fire, uh, right or wrong, you know, PBMs are trying to win business. And so they will use optics and different terminology so that their, their numbers, their pricing may look better. Uh, but again, the devil's in the details. So my team um, actually has a very thorough uh, questionnaire so that we're making sure we're comparing apples to apples when we do the analysis that we complete in-house. All right, and let's, I'll go through a few of these details. This employer did have a little over 4,000 employees. Their pharmacy spend was $8.5 million. And, mm-hmm. you know, that seems like such a giant number, but we know over and over that pharmacy spend continues to increase. And, and just really quick, what would you say is the average spend percentage-wise that an employer is, is seeing right now in pharmacy? Yeah, so when you look at your medical benefit and your pharmacy benefit uh, for prescription drugs, uh, we see employers spending 23% of that, that combined medical and pharmacy spend is on the pharmacy benefit. And that number is anticipated to grow, right? I mean, we're not expecting right. that number mm-hmm. to get smaller. No one's trying to invent or create a really affordable prescription is kind of, you know, what I hear in pharmacy trends. Mm-hmm. Um, so when we talk about a pharmacy spend of eight and a half million dollars, that translated to a little over $2,000 per employee per year. And the impact that our changes and our work meant for that employer was a little over six million over a three year period, that 24% savings. That's huge. What can an organization mm-hmm. do with 6.2 million, right? Right. Well, they certainly have a lot of options, right? I mean, I think um, that particular employer, um, if I'm remembering correctly, um, they actually were able to hire a bunch of additional staff members um, to help run their business. Right. They were, they were in public works, right? So uh, mm-hmm. there were a number of ways they were able to really reinvest that back into the community, really, by the time you look at what they, what they did with those $6 million. So you touched on this a little bit. An employer needs to have that strong contract. They've got to start there. But then what's the second step? Yeah, so <laughs> the second step is... Uh, you know, a contract is only as good as it's enforced, right? So um, after we get that best-in-class contract in place, we actually will do a pricing reconciliation to make sure all of the financial guarantees that we've negotiated are met. And so just an example of that, um, for a best-in-class contract, we look at things like single-source generics should be priced as generics, not brands. And so because generics are more expensive when they first come to the market, when there's only one or two manufacturers making those drugs, um, without us requiring uh, vendors to do so, they oftentimes will try to put single source generics into a brand bucket and offer um, a brand discount or say that those are in the brand guarantee. So my team and I, we will make sure that the provisions are clear, you know, how is the generic drug, how is the brand, how is the specialty, et cetera, drug defined? 
And then we actually get all of the data and um, internally with our proprietary tool, uh, we actually make sure that all of those claims are bucketed appropriately so that the financial guarantees are met. And Danielle, we actually find um, that 80% of the time, employer or the PBMs rather fall short and the employer is owed uh, money back. Which th- that too is a huge number. And I think that there is a sense, especially with employers, the sense that they have a pharmacy contract. So of course that contract is being administered appropriately. But just from some of the things you've highlighted here, it is definitely an ongoing amount of significant work to make sure that each of those prescriptions is bucketed right and that those contracts are being honored. So it's not really even just the upfront savings that you're talking about. You're really talking about an ongoing savings and just managing Mm -hmm. correctly which is amazing. Okay. And and now we are seeing, sorry, we are seeing now, um, depending on which PBM and the employer size, we do see sometimes PBMs run their own true ups. Um, But we actually, even though sometimes the vendors are running those true ups, (laughs) you know, we obviously see a lot of value in in our internal analysis. And uh, more often than not, whether they mean to or not, um, we actually find that the PBM's analysis is incorrect and a bit short. And so clients, again, are owed up money. So um, we highly recommend this pricing reconciliation, um, even if the vendor is offering something up um, independently. Definitely worth the double check. And, you know, based on this and this, what I would sense is a very strong partnership too with PBMs, how is our relationship with those vendors? Because I'm guessing there are probably some sensitive, you know, delicate discussions if you have to come back and talk to someone about how much is owed back to a client. Right, <laughs> certainly. Um, so we, we take a trust but verify approach is, is how we kind of describe it. Um, but we, you know, we meet with all the major vendors in the marketplace, also some of those more up and coming startups. Um, because, you know, part of our job is relationships, but it's also, you know, holding firms accountable to do what's right by our clients. And so we will, um, you know, basically help the vendor understand our analysis and why we feel that the results differ from theirs. And we, we hash it out and work through um, all to do what's right for our, our uh, employer, our customers. Well, thank you for that, because I am sure that is a huge task, you know, each contract by contract as you work through it. Mm -hmm. So lastly, there's this other piece that really, too, is about the ongoing expertise, and it's around the clinical aspect. And, you know, even on, you know, my side where I, of course, don't get into all of the analytics like your team But so often, the kinds of things that we will hear from a member or an employer is around a pain that's associated with the cost of a prescription. And you have so many great examples of how you or another colleague within Lockton has intervened on some cases where there's high cost claimant, something is being dispensed at the most expensive place at the most, you know, Mm -hmm. expensive rate. 
And those are flagged and also, I mean, and I guess from a highlighting standpoint of when you can intervene on those kinds of instances, not only does it help the employer and their overall plan spend, but that is something that directly impacts the person who needs that prescription and is counting on that because their cost share is also attached. You had a couple of really great examples, and I would love for you to talk about, there was one in particular, and I think you call it Solaris, and I'm not sure what it treats, but if you could, you know, just tell us a little bit about what that drug does and, you know, the, the case that you saw and how you intervened, that would be wonderful. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, a lot of times um, when we talk about pharmacy benefits and plan design changes and options, we talk about, you know, clinically appropriate, lower cost drugs. Sometimes we talk about the pharmacy network and the lowest cost pharmacy. And what you're asking me to talk about today is actually a little bit different. It's primarily with specialty drugs and where a patient is getting a medication administered. And so uh, for these specialty drugs, um, and, you know, we see as much as half of uh, specialty drugs been occurring on the medical benefit. So my team and I, we actually will review those specialty drugs and the spend on the pharmacy and medical benefit. And so this particular Solaris case, um, which is used for a couple of different things, very um, rare genetic conditions, but the Solaris is something that um, many patients from a clinical perspective can get that drug infused. Um, even in, in home or the doctor's office. So those two, we call them sites of care. They're often lower cost um, for the, the plan and also the patient compared to an outpatient hospital setting. And so anyway, with this Solaris uh, case, um, we actually looked at where it was being billed on the medical benefit um, and did some pricing and analysis. And we were able to um, generate uh, over, it was $715,000 in annual savings for the employer. And the patient, we were able to have the patient like continue receiving the drug in the same site of care, happened to be their home. They were able to keep the same nurse. Um, and again, for the plan, we were able to generate this very tremendous, significant um, amount of savings back to them. Um, and that was just by basically doing some pricing and uh, checks in the marketplace to find the right vendor for that uh, claim. Yeah, because initially this was projected to be 1.3 million in annual cost. And, and just to highlight too, to jump back, in case someone is listening and they're not really sure what you mean when you say the medical benefit and the pharmacy benefit, what, what we're referring to there is that because of the way some of these specialty drugs are administered, if you have to go into your outpatient hospital, you're not only being billed for the actual prescription, but you're being billed to take up space within that facility and the medical professionals who provide that care. So the cost mm -hmm. can, I, I mean, from my own layman's terms, I would say the cost can feel a little squishy. You might not know or have any idea that what you're being billed for is so much more than receiving that, that prescription. And the thing that I liked about this example too is your comments around the fact that, you know, human resources didn't hear noise around this because this wasn't the kind of situation where, 
you know, they were looking to somehow exclude that drug or move someone into a different place. It was about doing the right thing for that patient at the right cost. And you and your team were able to bring that together without disrupting any care from the patient. So on a quarterly basis, you provide this great newsletter and an update that you know, our clients can receive or even prospective clients, or if you wanna learn more about pharmacy, um, Dr. Lich's updates really are great. Um, is there an easy way that someone can sign up for those newsletters from you? They would email you, Danielle. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's fine. Email me, email her. Um, yeah, yeah, we don't have a, we actually, you know, that's something we, you know, we're very mindful of, um, we might, uh, you know, evaluate in the future, but we like to have that personal touch here at Lockton, as you know, so um, we actually, you know, have that one-to-one -one contact with, um, with folks who are interested. Got it. Well, email me. So <laughs> I want, you know, before we wrap up this episode of the checkup, I also just wanted to at least nod to the fact that we are recording this and you will hear this in the month of March, which is Women's History Month. And I thought it such a beautiful coincidence that the person who is talking us today or talking to us today about leading this area of practice for our series of Locked In is a woman. Is there like a woman that, uh, that you would credit in, in this month? Uh, what was your response? <laughs> well, I, I really can't name, if I had to name one person, it would be my mother, but uh, no, I mean, <laughs> <Smart>. I'm really, <laughs> I'm really fortunate. I've had so many great mentors, you know, uh, even back in pharmacy school and then while at a PBM here at Lockton, um, you know, it just, and I try to do my part to give back as well. So, you know, um, just too many, too many great people um, that I've gotten to work for and with um, and on my team over the years to name just one besides my mother. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Well, your mom is always a really smart place to uh, start and stop with. And, uh, and for sure, I think, you know, every, every woman can usually point to a lot of other women who have been a meaningful in, in our professional development and uh, certainly that we continue to pay that forward to the women who come after us is uh, a, great, a great goal and objective of our own. So thank you in this Women's History Month for joining us here and sharing your smarts and your expertise with us. And if you are an employer who could benefit from saving 10 to 30% of your pharmacy spend. You know, if there's something else within your organization that you'd like to invest those dollars in, um, if you're in a coalition, if you have a contract that you don't understand, those are all some great reasons um, for us to connect. And it is very simple for us to do some work to let you know what you have and what can be done to get you back on the path of managing that spend and feeling empowered. So thank you for listening to the checkup today. You can follow us on iTunes or on YouTube. You can always connect with Dr. Litch or myself on LinkedIn as well. 
Thanks for tuning in today. Take good care.